Hey kids, Townsend Coleman here, the voice of Michelangelo from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Cowabunga! And you're listening to the Neverland Podcast right now, which is totally bodacious. Greetings! Uh, we're going to come to you a slightly unhaunted here from the Neverland Podcast to bring you something special. I have some audio from the New York Comic Con here 2014 featuring uh, a little bit of audio from the panel for Big Hero 6, a little bit of audio from a panel for Tomorrowland, and the complete panel for the Daredevil series that is uh, set to premiere on Netflix very, very soon. Uh, hope also that you have been enjoying the current Neverland Podcast cast uh, we, where we've been haunted uh, that you've enjoyed talking about uh, movies like Hocus Pocus um Young Frankenstein, stuff like that, with uh, with Scott and Tracy from Disney Indiana. And also, I hope you've enjoyed with the audio clips and things. We talked about the Charlie Brown and the Fat Albert Halloween specials. I hope you've been enjoying that. Uh, if you haven't listened to those, go back this month. Make sure you check those out. We're having lots of fun. But uh, we've got a lot of fun information I'd like to share with you, so I'm going to get right to it. I'm going to start by introducing the filmmakers, uh, director Don Hall, Chris Williams, and producer Roy Conley. Get out here! Hey, guys. Welcome. Super stoked to be here. Uh, this is a dream project for me. Um, I grew up uh, loving two things more than anything, Marvel Comics and Disney Animation. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you can imagine how stoked I am to, to have worked on this movie and finally, you know, completed this movie. And we're, we're very excited to show you some stuff. We saw the movie just two days ago, and it was so surreal. Just like the opening with the Disney logo, I was already tearing up. <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie. But it's just like the perfect project because I feel like... It's so me. Honey Lemon is so me. <laughs> um, I don't know if people know this at all, but like I, I was in a robotics team growing up in high school, and so this like character was just like, I think written for me subconsciously. <laughs> Jamie, what? Uh, tell us about your character and what what it was like and what you brought to it and and what you saw. Uh, you know, Gogo is, she's, she was described to me as the Clint Eastwood of the group. Like, she's a woman of very few words, but when she has something to say, it's usually really dry and sarcastic. Um, <laughs> you know, she's, she's pretty tough, and it's, it's always fun playing that, but she certainly has a very soft side to her, and you get to see that in the film. But it's rare. <laughs> <laughs> but she's great. It was really fun. We were very lucky to have this cast. They all inhabited the characters in a way that made it impossible for me to imagine anyone else ever playing them. So we were very lucky. And they're also very nice people, uh -huh. too, which is... To speak to the process, actually, uh, it is weird, because you really go in there on your own. And it feels like a vacuum, but you can see them all laughing, because I, I improvise a lot, and so you can see them all laughing <laughs> through the glass, but it's silent, because you can't hear them. <laughs> so you sort of will say, like that sandwich line, they'll be like, you know, try 50 or 60 different versions of the sandwich thing. And so you'll do them, and they'll just be like. <laughs> <laughs> and then you hit something that's funny, and they're like. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that was really good. Uh, it's a thrill to be up here right now because I have always been in, you know, the crowd and, and to be up here and being something so kind of central to this movie is mind-blowing. I can't believe I'm here and I, and I really thank these guys because... Because my life has been as a fan of things like this for so long, and now I'm up here with these brilliant actors and these amazing filmmakers, and I am uh, thrilled. I can't, I can't believe my life right now. I'm really, I'm very happy right now. But you know, Hero just, he's got a, he's got a really good heart, and he's, he's a genius, but you know, he, he doesn't quite know where his life, the direction that he's going, and um, uh, Baymax, the gang, uh, his older brother, Aunt Cass, all these characters really are, are so important for Hero because they put him on the right path. You know, he, Hero, uh, 
you guys will see it. He, he's a big bot fighter, and it's not very legal. Um, <laughs> but he, he gets put on the right path, and just, uh, yeah, he's a really good kid. You'll see it in the film. Okay, so now that we've talked about Big Hero 6, let's move right along to Tomorrowland. No, I'm glad he's actually not present at the moment because it, it frees me up to say one or two things about uh, George Clooney, who has constructed painstakingly this image of the good guy, the nice guy, everybody's friend, the chivalrous saint. Well, there's been no mention of the drinking. Uh, there's been no mention of the shouting, <laughs> the, sh- the ceaseless shouting. Um, lying about his age, he's 75 if he's a day. Uh, so really uncomfortable, it's really uncomfortable. Thank you, Hugh. Um, It is not lost on me that I am uh, spending my honeymoon at (laughs) Comic-Con. Did that... Was that a conversation with the wife? Where you're like, we're going to Comic-Con, honey. Yes, yeah, uh, she was as confused as Hugh was about what Comic-Con was. She didn't understand. Um, well, uh, it's good to see you all. Yeah, this is the first I'm sorry that I have to do this, but I'm legally required by the government that if I get this many awesome people once, I, I have to take a picture. So. Come on. Is that a selfie? Yeah. <laughs> Get in, Brad Bird! Oh, it's Brad Bird! <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I didn't have to do much. It's a uh, formality. It's, uh, it's government business, uh, what have you. You've never been to Comic-Con before, have you? Is this your first Comic-Con? Yes, on top of it being my honeymoon, I am a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say... I have to say, uh, that, is, uh, that is an excellent Bruce Wayne cosplay that you have going on. Uh, <laughs> I, think, um, I think since, uh, since I, uh, my Batman, I was disinvited from Comic-Con for 20 years. <laughs> that's not... I think that's just no the one, way it works. No one would say that out loud. I met... <laughs> oh, but you're saying it. I, you, I, I, I see the comment sections on all you guys. I met uh, Adam West back there just now, and I was like, hey, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Did you really meet him back there? Yeah, he goes, give me a fist bump, and I was like, yeah, just hit me, just hit me. <laughs> what was the experience like working on this film, and, and how does it compare to other stuff that you've done? Um, larger than most things I've ever been around. It was, it was you know, listen, the, the beautiful thing about it is um, uh, that Brad has a real vision of the film he wants to make. And it was really fun, I think, for all of us to get to come play in this giant toy box with him and, and, uh, and sort of try to do and help him realize what he, what he wants. It's really fun to do. Uh, we were all over the world. Uh, Hugh and I got to get in uh, trouble in the Bahamas. Uh, that was fun. Two, two former uh, television doctors. Hey. Bring on that, you know, McSteamy guy, right? We'll take those guys. Bring them on. We'll take them all on. Yeah. All the TV doctors. Um. <laughs> all right. And one final bit here. This one's kind of long because this is the complete panel for the upcoming Daredevil. There's going to be a lot of firsts here tonight, and uh, and most of it is a way of saying thank you. Uh, As many of you know, we do consider New York Comic Con and the city of New York to be our home. It has been... 
Marvel has a very special relationship. You know that we're here. You know that so many of our stories take place in this city. Uh, and for us to be here in order to show you for the first time things about our first series on Netflix, it's extremely exciting for us. And I want to say thank you to everyone who showed up for this panel and who have been just supporting us the entire time. It's pretty fantastic. Now, as a lot of you know, uh, and I can see that there's still people that are, that are filing in, so as they're filing in, uh, I, like to, I like to find out whether or not you guys are actually Daredevil fans. Are there any Daredevil fans here? Well, you see, here's the thing. Like, if we're going to do this, I need you to let the cast, which is backstage, I need them to hear whether or not there's any Daredevil fans out here. but I, I don't think you understand. They're backstage. They're not up here. They're backstage. So they need to hear from New York. Are there any Daredevil fans here? Thank you. And now, the ceremonial. Here we go. No, we're not doing Audrey today. And then, of course, I want to thank them, so everybody, big hand for Netflix. All right. As you guys know, this stuff does not happen in a vacuum. There are a few people that I really do need to thank uh, that are making this possible. And uh, I will start out with the good folks at Marvel. Uh, they would be Alan Fine, Dan Buckley, Jim Corey, Kareem Zrick. And if they're in the audience, I'd very much like if these three people would stand up because they are there every day and they are making a huge difference in terms of the quality of the show and everything else we do. And that is uh, my dear friend Samantha Thomas and Emma Fleischer who are there until all hours. So if they're here and they can stand up, that would be great. stories and things that he does, and he does it very quietly behind the scenes, even though you all know him. Um, he is probably the biggest Daredevil fan in the world, and I can tell you a secret, which is he has the last page of Daredevil number one hanging in his home. That's how much he loves this character, that's how much we love him, and I cannot do anything that I'm doing up here today without the help of Mr. Joe Quesada. And Joe Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and then believe it or not, they're all getting together in a little thing called The Defenders. Uh, one of the other things I do want to put a little button on uh, in terms of the rumor mill out there, and uh, I just want to just tell everybody here, because everything you hear today will be for the first time. And that is, there's an awful lot of stuff out there on the internet uh, that talks about casting that we're doing for Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. Neither one of those roles have been cast. So anything that you've heard, just a rumor, we move on. Uh, now, having done that, how did Daredevil come to New York City? It was the only place we could shoot it. As you know, it is 
is, New York is a character that is in these stories. Hell's Kitchen is an important part of us. I really want to thank the state of New York who helped us get in here and has helped us every single day. We shoot on the streets, we shoot, on, we shoot in apartments, we're on rooftops. Uh, if you find us, don't take a picture, but just enjoy. Uh, uh, we'd like to be able to share it just with the people that actually watch the show. Uh, and towards that end, it would not be a marvel security measure without me talking a little bit about that. Um, what you guys are going to see today on this panel, and maybe some other surprises, uh, belongs in this room. It is a gift from us to the folks at New York Comic Con and for all of you as fans. What that means is, if you look around, you will see gentlemen that are standing, and I'm not making this up, they're wearing ties and they look like S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and they actually are S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Believe it or not, what they have with them is night vision goggles. I am not making that up either. They do not have radar sense, but they can tell whether or not you're recording the clips that are going on up here. So if you have a recording device, a telephone, anything that is doing something other than your eyeballs, put it away. Uh, and the reason I'm saying that is they're going to find you and they're going to take it away and then you're going to be asked to leave and I don't want that to happen. It's our party, folks. So let's enjoy the party and have a great time. And one of the ways that I want you to have a great time is I'm going to show you now just a little piece of what this looks like. I'm going to set it up for a second so that you understand what you're seeing. Um, you will be seeing, and I will introduce them a little later on, but what you're going to be able to see is something that is happening in Karen Page's apartment when an unexpected visitor comes by. You'll also notice that there is more than a little inspiration from our friend John Romita Jr. and a, and a book that you all know called Man Without Fear. Bob Gundon plays Leland Owsley. He is a reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. His name is Ben Urich, and he is played by Vondi Curtis Hall. plays Wilson Fisk's love of his life, Vanessa. <laughs> you can't have Nelson and Murdoch unless you have a foggy. Ellen Henson, please come on out. fall in love with her as we have fallen in love with her. She plays Karen Page and she's Deborah Ann Wall. <laughs> you know, one of the things that Marvel prides itself in is that we have villains that are complex, emotional, vulnerable, and all kinds of powerful. When this gentleman expressed his willingness to play the part of Wilson Fisk, we knew we had done an extraordinary thing. Please put your hands together for Vincent D'Onofrio. true story. 
This is one of the many Jokasana secrets that I'm going to share with you this evening. Uh, it is over two years ago. This was before, well, very simply, my phone rings and the man on the other line is Joe Casada, and he says to me, I found Matt Murdock. And I go, what? And he goes, I found Matt Murdock. And I'm thinking to myself, is he drawing Matt Murdock? Is, well, I, what does he mean he found Matt Murdock? Was Matt Murdock running around in the streets blind? Like, what was going on? And he says, there's this actor. Oh, oh, we're talking about an actor who's going to play Matt Murdock. On what, Joe? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, on Daredevil. And I go, Joe, we don't have Daredevil. It's across the street. We hope someday that it will come back to us so that we can do exactly what we're doing right now. And he goes, yeah, I know, but it will. It'll happen. I know it will. And when it does, I found a guy who can play Matt Murdock. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so it's got, first of all, it's got to come back from over there. It's got to go to the movie studio. They've got to decide they're going to let the television division do this thing. Then we've got to find somebody that's actually going to let us make the show that we want to make. So what are the odds of that happening? How about 100% that the person that Joe picked out is the person that we cast, and that is Charlie Cox. And then there's one more person who sits at this table. As you know, uh, we started out and, and he wrote for us the first two episodes. Our good friend Drew Goddard, but we needed somebody that was going to run the show, take it through, and it has been his vision that we have been chasing through the streets of New York. He's an extraordinarily talented producer, showrunner, and writer, and you all know him as Stephen S. Tonight. How about a round of applause for this incredible cast? Now, I know you guys well enough to know that there is someone else that she really wanted to be here. She has to work in L.A., and that's the reason why she is not. Just, uh, Charlie, tell me what it's like working with Rosario Dawson. Well, apart from being very difficult to look at. Uh, yeah, she's an extraordinary actor, and also she's very quickly become the, uh, the heartbeat of the show almost with all of us. She's a wonderful person, and I think you're going to love what she's done, guys. You know, it, it's kind of hard to explain how awesome she is in the show, so rather than doing that, uh, there's been a lot of speculation as to the role that she is playing. It was not a mystery, it simply was something that we wanted to say for you guys. She is playing the role of Claire Temple. She is, as many of you know, a nurse who works at night. And when she does that, she runs into a certain gentleman. Well, rather than me talking about it, Jenny, why don't we roll another clip? <laughs> Stevie, why don't we start with uh, talking a little bit about our extraordinary production people and uh, how this crew works and things like that. Well, I got to tell you, we have the, one of the best crews in New York, one of the best crews <laughs> in New York. We really do. From all aspects, from, from casting to set design to costumes to props to our amazing cinematographer, we have an Emmy-nominated cinematographer, Matt Lloyd. You saw his work in Fargo. And it's just, from top to bottom, best crew I've ever worked with. In fact, some of that crew is here today. If you guys are here and you want to stand up, that would be really wonderful for everybody to get a seat. Uh, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about 
what it's like to play these characters uh, and what you did for research and what the day was like when you first showed up. Some of you came in literally about an hour before we started shooting and I would wish it start with Toby. Uh, Toby, what's it like being Wilson Fisk's right-hand man? Uh, well, every day. Remember Vincent's here. Yeah. Hi, mate. How are you? Um, every day a man comes to my house and picks me up. And then I, I go to work and I get to play uh, dress-ups and make-believe with Vincent D'Onofrio, which is not a bad gig, I don't think. Um, some of the stuff he's been doing has been insane. So, um, yeah, and every episode is just like, wow, we're here now? Interesting. So, I'm really excited about it, yeah. And I, I got to jump in and say, we hired Toby literally about five minutes before we started shooting. <laughs> and we looked high and low, and he just popped up out of the blue, and we couldn't be happier. Yeah, I'd do that. Yeah. Uh, Bob, you also get a chance to, uh, to work with Mr. Fisk uh, as Leland Owsley. Um, you joined us a little later in the group. Tell us what it was like coming on in and, and seeing this gang together and, you know, tell us a little bit about working on Daredevil. Well, I definitely jumped into the party five minutes after it had begun, <laughs> at least. Uh, this was like jumping back into my fevered teenage dreams where uh, light and dark and secrets and uh, broken people trying to find their way through life and uh, you know as a teenager that I felt like there was something broken in me and that was uh, for all of these people it's like they are it's not so much the external things that they're fighting as as much as what's inside them and uh, my character uh, one of his armaments is uh, a sardonic wit which I really responded to when, when you sent me the script. Uh, the, the writing is so snappy and tight, and uh, in the case of uh, Leland, uh, I think very amusing, and I hope to be able to put a little more spin on that ball even yet. Nice. Uh, nice. I'm sure that, that there's been a lot of speculation out there about, about the show and what the tone of the show was going to be and even some of the comics that, that you and I have talked about you know, from the very beginning. Um, tell me some of the things that were your sort of inspiration, where you wanted to go, and the story that you wanted to tell that took place and how, you know, what is Daredevil to you? Well, comic-wise, Jeff and I have loved Daredevil for years and years and years. When we were on Buffy about 12 years ago, we sat in my room. Jeff came in late one night and I just had a wall full of Marvel action figures and one of the prominent ones was Daredevil and we started talking about we're going to do that show one day. One day we're going to do Daredevil. And I laughed at him. <laughs> I was young and foolish and, and I laughed. And, and, and we're going to try to do it right. And my main influences growing up were the Frank Miller run and then in later years the Bendis run. And I think you'll really, really see that reflected in, in the gritty, realistic tone of this show. Fondy, uh, you're playing a character that uh, everybody in this room knows. Uh, ben Urick is somebody that is part of the fabric of the Marvel Universe. Aside from that responsibility, how much fun are you having? <laughs> Uh, I'm having a great time playing Ben. You know, when I, when I looked at the, you know, at the comics, I said, you know, how am I going to play this guy? I don't, I don't wear glasses. <laughs> Inside joke, huh? <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's Ben's drive that really, really drew me to this character and to playing this part. I mean, his his obsession for the truth and um, his passion for uh, this city and Hell's Kitchen and uh, uncovering, you know, the, the, I, I think he's got the same passion that Daredevil has in terms of 
of really uh, wanting a better, a better New York, and it's, it's specifically a better Hell's Kitchen. And so his passion for moving and trying to find, a, find the story and under, uncover you know, the dirt, the grit, um, and find the truth that will make uh, Hell's Kitchen a better place really drove me. And when I spoke to you guys on the phone, you talked about how you wanted a realistic show. This wasn't, it, it's not just about, you know, the jumping off of buildings. It's really about the characters. It's about the, the, the heart of the characters. And you know, Ben's connection to the city, to his wife, to his past, uh, you know, so, somewhat varied, uh, really, really drew me to this. And I'm really excited to be able to play this part. Fantastic. Ayala, you had to uh, really come into this and, and play a role that, again, uh, many of you know very well, the role of Vanessa, who is Wilson Fisk's love, uh, is something that's very complex. Um, how do you approach that, and, and what's it like working with Mr. D'Afria? How did I approach that? Um, when I met you guys for the first time, you told me the story of the um, painting, which I hope we'll see. Um, and that to me was the um, sort of the entrance into that character, because I think she's a person who, if there's a locked door and someone would say to her, don't go in there, she will. So in that sense, that's kind of what opened that channel for me. And working with Mr. D'Onofrio is fabulous. <laughs> I am. I'm honest. No, it's not I mean it because he's a phenomenal actor and he's very honest in his performance. And so it gets you into that place and it's becoming very realistic. And, and then it just becomes fun because it's in the moment and it's, it's, it is what it is. And that's all you ask for. Um, when we first came to you, uh, your enthusiasm was uh, extraordinary. Um, tell us about Wilson Fisk. I want to thank everybody for being here. You're awesome. Um, our Fisk is, uh, he's a child and he's a monster. He, every move that he makes and everything that he does in our story comes from his foundation of morality inside himself. And um, meeting Vanessa, um, the one thing that she does for him so far is um, brings him out of the shadows. So we've been able to do, like they've done with um, Charlie as, as well, is, is you have a feeling of the origin of Wilson and how he becomes this iconic character that everybody seems to um, dig. And, uh, so it's a, you know, we're playing it, we're playing it real, we're playing it um, emotional and um, moment to moment, and it's... Uh, you digging it? I'm digging it, yeah. <laughs> Stephen, I, 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 I've heard you talk about this a little bit, and I, just so that they can hear a little bit about it, there are times when... Uh, we see the performances and we read the scripts where sometimes we're rooting for Matt and sometimes we're rooting for Wilson. What's, what's that about? Well, you know, I always approach it that there are no heroes or villains. It's just people making different choices. And what I love about this show is the moral gray area that is inherent in Daredevil. He's a lawyer by day and a vigilante by night. Those two things do not mesh. And it's a constant struggle for Matt Murdock. And oftentimes, he crosses the line. And one of the questions we ask in this show is, how far will he go? He's one bad day away from becoming Frank Castle instead of Matt Murdock. 
and we really lean into that. With Wilson Fisk on the flip side, when you hear the explanation of what he's doing and why he's doing it, I think you're going to say, you know what, that's not a bad idea. That's pretty good. So there'll be times on the show where you're not quite sure who to root for, which is really what I love about the Daredevil stories. There are plenty of times when I was reading it where it was very morally ambiguous of who really is the hero, who really is the villain, and we really explore that on this show. Uh, I'm going to ask a really silly question from anybody that can tell me, other than the people that are in the audience, how much more time do we have left? Wait, when, when are we supposed to? Oh, tell me, is it six? Is it six fifteen? When when do we go? Six fifteen. Thank you. Okay, then I have an understanding as to what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, uh, you cannot tell this story uh, without one of the most beloved characters that is in the Marvel comics universe, uh, people actually write entire blogs uh, and articles and all kinds of things about the importance of Franklin Foggy Nelson. Yeah. El Ellen, you were shooting a little movie called Hunger Games uh, when, you, when you sent us your audition on your phone because we we had no other way of doing it uh, than to do that. Um, tell us about what it's like uh, working with Deborah and Charlie and being the other half of Nelson and Murdoch. It's really scary. <laughs> um, no, actually, it's been really great. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of time, or not as much time as I would normally like to prepare for a role, so. Uh, we threw you in the deep end. You can yeah, and, it's, and it's, it was great to uh, work with Charlie and Deborah because I was able to lean on them a great deal and just sort of for help and making sure that I'm, you know, going in the right direction with the character. Um, and, you know, they're also just really great people off of set too, so that makes the job that much easier. It's really nice to be able to come to work every day and be excited about, you know, being with, you know, the people that you're spending sometimes, you know, 12, 13 hours a day with, so... Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been great. And, and you literally had just had a baby. Like, That's, this is true. I, I didn't have the baby. My wife did. Um, <laughs> but uh, I do have a son. And uh, I, I'm going to do my best not to um, screw him up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thanks, uh, Dad. Dad, and my favorite part of your story is that uh, at the grand old age of 22, you get a leading role on a show called True Blood. for seven years, and I'm not trying to give away your age. Uh, I am trying to talk about your professionalism because it, it, you want to talk about down to the wire. Down to the wire was once we decided it was, it was going to be Deborah Ann or we weren't going to have Karen Page in the show, uh, it was down to trying to get her there in order to start shooting. And so she left True Blood at 4 o'clock in the morning on a Monday, or that's Tuesday morning, however you do that sort of math, uh, and showed up on set and shot her first scene on Thursday. She has not had a break, I would say, because we've been keeping her awfully busy. Um, tell us about Karen. <laughs> um, Karen. Karen is great. I've been really excited to play Karen. I think the most interesting characters are the ones who are um, who are, who are flawed. And I, I'm, I like that she, um, I'll say it this way, I was talking to one of my producers and he said, Karen keeps getting into trouble. And I said, nah, -uh, Karen is trouble, okay? Uh, <laughs> you know, I think she's, she's determined and once she decides she's going to do something, there's nothing that will stop her. So, it's been fun. Um. I can tell you as someone who 
has been involved in an awful lot of television and very lucky to work with an awful lot of talented people. The tone and tenor of your set is very often determined by, they have this thing called your call sheet, it's who's going to work that day. Um, and there's an expression that we often use, which is called the number one on the call sheet. <laughs> Doesn't mean that this person is necessarily as important or more important or anything in terms of that, but it often is the person who sets the tone for everyone else. And when that person has the level of professionalism, the level of calm, the sense of humor, and really just the charm, and if, you, if you're experiencing the fact that I have a bit of a man crush on him, I do. <laughs> uh, and that is uh, Joe Quesada's dream casting, Charlie Cox, who gets to play not one, but two roles. as Matt Murdock and as this somewhat uh, crazed vigilante, I think is a way of looking at it. Um, Charlie, I, you know, you, you play blind, you play heroic, you play a lawyer, you play, you do some extraordinary stunt work. Um, what's your day like? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that I was blind? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it was, um, uh, and let's uh, reiterate what um, Vincent said. Thanks so much for coming out, guys. It's so cool to sit here and see you all. <laughs> yeah, the, um, it's been a, a, um, a real challenge. Um, uh, the, the, there are so many aspects to, to Matt, uh, uh, the, as you say, the, the blindness and the, and the physicality, the, um, the action sequences. Um, and. Not to mention, we're making a show which, as Vincent said again, is, is, is about human emotion and about conflict and inner turmoil. And I think the thing I loved about, about um, Matt Murdock on the page, both in the comics but particularly in our scripts, is that you know, we're, we're meeting a man who is a, a lawyer by day and believes in, in, in the law and justice and, and at night is, is taking the law into his own hands and, and deciding what justice should be for himself. Um, and all the time in between is, is, is spent battling with that concept, you know. Um, he also, we've also, uh, we deal a lot with uh, uh, parts of the, uh, the story. We, 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 um, we, we see a bit of Matt's father and um, who Matt's father, what, who he wanted Matt to be. And, and I think that's something that plays on Matt's mind as well a lot um, that he battles with. Um, I should mention that uh, there's an, an incredible stunt team. Um, the stuff that they do is, is, is it, it looks like it's CGI, it's not. They're, the guys are actually doing this stuff, um, and it's, it's, it's really spectacular. And wherever possible, I, I, I do as much as I can because I love all that stuff, but it's, uh, I, I think you guys are gonna be, uh, it's grounded in, in gritty reality, but, it's, but there's, you know, there's, the, there's the superhero element, and it's, I think you guys are gonna be really pleased with what you see. We have a few minutes and I promised the cast that I would do this and so if there are some questions from the audience, I can take a handful of them. There's a microphone over here. Uh, the only thing, and, and I guess over there. Uh, the only thing that I do ask is that the questions pertain to Daredevil or to someone that's up here on the uh, stage thing. Um, so why don't we start off with you, sir? Thanks a lot for being here. Uh, this question is for anybody in the cast. Daredevil's been published for the past 50 plus years. There's a lot of stories. Uh, when you guys were cast, did you go back uh, and dig into some of the older stories to learn a little bit about your characters and some of the things that they've done over the years? And if so, you know, what really st stood out for you? I, after I read the, the first script, um, and I had conversations with Steven and, and, and Jeff about our daredevil. That, that's when I started. And the, the, um, the artwork and, as Steven said before, the run of uh, Frank Miller's stuff, especially the artwork in his stuff, influenced me a lot. But um, I went beyond that as well. Um, the stuff that I read when I was a kid is not really 
does I don't relate to as much for our Daredevil, but what Stephen said about Frank Miller's run and some other runs uh, closer to that time, I, I definitely uh, dove into that, got them all. I went to Forbidden Planet and just, uh, and, uh, and they know my son Elias and I and uh, daughter over there very well because we're there, we used to go there like once a week back in the day. And um, so they, they walked around with me and that, you know, I walked out with a stack and yeah. Uh, over here? Great, thank you. Um, I have a question for Deborah. What was it like transitioning like very quickly from your role on True Blood to your role on Daredevil? Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I mean, this is such a different character, so I had to change gears very quickly. But, you know, I was also, I was, I was a little sad about leaving that other family. And I think coming here and being welcomed so generously into this new family really helped me through you know, missing that character and that show. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was easy, which was nice. <laughs> Thank you. Over here. Hi, my name is Michael Wesley, and when I was born, Captain America, Superman, Batman, they were in second grade. So I've been reading them since they only cost a nickel, and I'd be a gazillionaire if I'd have saved them. <laughs> and this is more a story about Jeff Loeb than it is about this. It's about the Marvel Universe. Does the Marvel Universe really mean anything to the no, do the fans mean anything to the Marvel Universe? Two years ago at Comic-Con in San Diego, I was trying to get the last Colson t-shirt, and they gave me one that was so small, it was like trying to stuff a whale in a sardine can. And so I was begging for a different one. And, oh, no, we don't have anything. We don't have anything. So this guy comes out of the back, and he's just got a marble shirt on. So I said, you know, by any chance, I'm it's 9,000 in the back. And nobody would have found anything. And this guy comes out uh, with his shirt for me. You can imagine what I thought when I found out that he was the head of Marvel Television and would do something for an old lady to spray a t-shirt. Thank you. I appreciate it. I Thanks, Mom. Uh, <laughs> I do think that, that one of the things that is true, uh, particularly when we're in the city of New York, is, you know, the Marvel fans are the best fans that you could possibly hope for, and, and so Marvel will do anything for you guys, because you'll do anything for us, so thank you so much. Over here, this gentleman. Um, yes, thanks for coming out, guys. Like, really excited for the show. Vincent, you were my first Thor. I, I remember that. <laughs> Thor fan. <laughs> <laughs> Deborah and Charlie, um, question was, how does it feel transitioning from the HBO show to a, a show like this on Netflix? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think I think one of the things that I think I found most interesting in reading the scripts that I think when watching the Netflix shows that is and, and what we're going to be doing, which is interesting is that because there isn't a week in between, you, you don't have to, you have to spend less time reminding audiences of what happened, and also s ending an episode with a cliffhanger mm. is kind of fruitless because you just, oh, what happened? And you click a button and you find out. <laughs> um, which, is, which is great because it means we get to spend more time in real story, you know, and, and you know the thing when you sometimes watch a show and if you're real fans, you remember what happened and so you're like, ah, oh, we know this, why do we have to be told this again? And, and so it's, I think more than anything else, it's going to feel like a 13-hour movie. Over here. Will Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. have any effect on what's going on in the Netflix world? Like, are you going to run a continuity between the two worlds with Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D. running around all over the place? I, I have two answers for that. One, that's a level seven question. Uh, and, and two, I think you know, it's all connected, man. The little is two-faced over here. Hi. First of all, I wanted to say that I always really liked Daredevil 
because um uh, because he has like um he has like a defect where he's blind and yet he still perseveres and he and he takes advantage of, and takes advantage of it and 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 I got really related to me because I've got like a really bad disease and I I'm even even like I'm even leaving for the Mayo Clinic like tomorrow like right from the con and and I just I always related to Daredevil because. He had, because he had an issue, I have an issue, and we just, we keep, and I just try to keep on going, and. I, I see you all the time, and every time I see you, it makes me happier that you're here every year. Tell everybody your name so they can know. Um, I'm a Joma. Joma, welcome, Over here? Oh, hi. Uh, I just want to say this is a marvelous cast, pun intended. Uh, my, my question is for Charlie. Uh, you mentioned reading some uh, Daredevil stories. I just want to know, is there any particular story or moment that, uh, that kind of reached out to you that, like, that you kind of connected with and was like, this is what Daredevil is? Mm. You mean other than Daredevil Yellow? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bear in mind that Jeff Loeb is there and Joe Casada is over there somewhere, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, a, a, a number actually. Um, and uh, um, I, I th obviously the, 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 the Miller Man Without Fear um, has been a great influence. Um, and uh, as you've seen in the, um, in the footage that we've shown, we've, we've, we've used a lot of the... Um, uh, the Ramada, uh, th th that iconic image. Um, I really like the, the Bendis Malib stuff. That's the stuff I've focused on the most. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, tonally, it suits our show really, really well. Um, and uh, one of the reasons I think that you know Daredevil will work so well on the Netflix platform is because, uh, as a character, he, he he kind of does suit a slightly older audience, and so we're able to do that on Netflix. It's just it's just you know not without alienating anyone. It's just it's just uh, make it a little bit darker, um, and, uh, and 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 really give the fans who love that that series you know from from around the 2000 mark. Um, uh, what, what they love so much. There's a particular issue that I really like that we've, uh, I think it's in the, in the 30s, is the um, Bendez Malib, I think it's 32, and there's a great court scene, courtroom scene, where he's defending uh, uh, the white tiger. Um, you know, and I, it was so great to read a Daredevil novel and see, uh, so, and be so thrilled by a courtroom scene in, in a graphic novel. I love that, and, and uh, we've got some stuff coming up that you, that you guys might like that's, that's uh, closely related. Okay, well that's all for this little bonus episode here, so y'all take care and I will see you this coming weekend when we cover Disney's Haunted Mansion with the Medina family. <laughs>